And I just pray, you brood over us this morning. That you speak into our hearts. That you pierce us with your goodness and mercy. And that we come to know you better than we've ever done before. And I claim that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right, right. Um, you know where this is the second week of family values. Um, and it's on Bible believing. And maybe which is up there, it would have been, or whatever, it doesn't matter. But I want to put it in the perspective of purpose. It's very easy for me to just come up and talk and say, well, the Bible is the Word of God, and um, you better believe in it. Um, and so start reading now, and everything will get rosy. If it was just like that, is A, it's very shallow, <laughs> and B, I'll be finished in three or four minutes. So I've been challenged for um, a few months, actually, about purpose, my purpose. Um, but even when you speak, what is the purpose of speaking? Is it just to impart knowledge into people and show them how clever you are? Or is it to stir people to change? And I want this morning for it to be about stirring people, stirring me, but stirring all of us to not walk out of here and say, as can happen with having the preacher for lunch. It was good, it was bad, it was indifferent. Oh, I didn't know that bit. I didn't know the Greek word for this, but now I do. But I want it to stir you, to challenge you, that where you're at needs to change. And that's not a criticism. We are meant to be conformed into the likeness of Christ, and that's a continuous process. So we should be living with a repentant heart, because we don't get it right every day. And more often than not, if, you know, we know when we get it wrong because they're sins of commission. But we don't always know when we've got it wrong when it's the sins of omission, when we didn't speak to somebody that we should have spoken to. When we had that bad thought, we just disposed of it because, well, it's true. <laughs> um, so I want to challenge all of us, challenge me as well in that respect. Um, so I want to start because tomorrow, of course, is a poignant day. But you know, back in 1936, when Edward VIII um, decided to abdicate, the whole world changed for Queen Elizabeth. Because strictly, she was not in line of, for the throne. If Edward had had children, she would have been well down the pecking order. But the second he announced his abdication, and his younger brother George took over, then Elizabeth was the heir apparent. And her life changed. What she saw as maybe a joyous princessy life with Philip changed overnight. She had to be coached. She had to be taught. She was watched all the time. She had to be instructed in protocols and how to relate to people. In effect, she was discipled. She was being discipled for a bigger role. And... Um, Sixteen years later, with the premature death of her dad in uh, 1952, she became queen. So that's why it's 70 years. <laughs> and what an awesome life. Even people who don't probably think much about her. You get the people who follow her and Diana around everywhere. But even the people who didn't do that said, well done, good and faithful servant. 
And that's what's meant to be true of us. We're meant to one day have well done, good and faithful servant. So we've got to look at our service and what drives our service because that dictates our eternal destiny in relationship with God. If you're separated from God and the Bible is just a book, then your eternal destiny is being shaped today. And it's being shaped for all of us today. Now, as uh, Pastor Steve mentioned last week, um, his week was being Christ-centric. And everything in the Bible points to Christ. Everything. You say, well, surely not Genesis. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because we'll see in John that he was in the beginning. But also when Adam and Eve fell, God put a plan in place. And his son, his heel would be bruised. So Jesus is in everything in the Bible. And I just want to read. I mean, the effect of he is the substance of our life. I mean, he calls himself, he is the bread of life, and he is. And do we partake of him daily like we, you know, some nations eat rice every day. We may have a, 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 you know, a toast in the morning. But do we partake of Christ daily? And I'm just going to, I could have written words out, but I just want to read the Bible version on the, some of these things. And the first one is Hebrews 1 and 2. And it says, God, who at sundry times in diverse manners spoke in time past unto the fathers, the prophets, has in these last days, our church aid now, spoken unto us by his son, whom he appointed heir to all things, by whom also he made all things, or made the worlds. So the book of Hebrews points to the fact that whatever was in the Bible was pointing towards what we experience today. It's not the Old Testament was a God of wrath and that's not valid anymore. And the New Testament is something a little bit better. The whole of the Bible through the prophets has been condensed into what his son says. And for Christians, you have Christ living in you. He is the hope of glory. So do we actually recognize and appreciate that? <laughs> um, so why has he given us the Bible? I mean, he's a loving father who wants to communicate with us. He wants to talk to us. And not just have a chat casual on a bus, but intimately. To be closer than anybody we could ever know. And you think, well, okay, I thought you were going to talk about the Bible. I will, and I am. But I just want to put things in context. Because if we don't see the Bible as something that is a passionate letter of God to us, we need to rethink, don't we? Of course, reading the Bible, many people have read the Bible and haven't understood a word. Understood a word. <laughs> um, you've got great philosophers who say it's a great book. Gandhi has based a lot of what he believed on Bible principles. He didn't want to become a Christian because he didn't like what the church looked like. <laughs> but with the illumination of the Holy Spirit and approaching the Bible in prayer... We can live a life that God has planned for us. 
And I'll be referring to a, a verse in scripture a few times and it has got a hook. So just accept there's a hook. But in Jeremiah it talks about, I have plans for you, saith the Lord. Okay? Now you in your mind can say what comes next, but I'll come back to that later. Back in July, about the time that um, Pastor Steve asked me to do this, so it wasn't a, oh, oops, can you do next week? I've got a problem, I can't be there. And I had two dreams over a space of about four or five weeks. And you know in the Bible it says about where two or more witnesses, um, you know, whether it's a court case or whether it's to do with um, in later times when there's, you know, the, the prophets and the law. And, um, and there's a number of places where two witnesses, and I had two dreams, and they weren't particularly nice dreams, and sometimes you forget them within an hour, but they have stuck with me. The first dream was me playing a leading role in a stage production. Now, whether I'd had my granddaughter Lauren advising me on how to do that, I'm not sure, but I had this dream about being in a stage production, and I never turned up for practices, I never learnt my words, and on the night, I was a disaster because everybody was trying to fill in and help me, but I just didn't apply myself. And then a few weeks later, I had another dream, but this time I was on stage in an auditorium, and it was a church meeting, and I was behind the curtain and ready to come out to preach. And as the curtain opened, I thought, I don't know what to talk about. And I started waffling, and chaos broke out in the auditorium. And there was disorder and people shouting. And I thought, I can't control this. I was out of control and I didn't know what to say or what to do. And God said to me, and it was quite harsh, but true, you're not prepared. Both of those said, I'm not prepared. And... That came when Steve said, what do you talk about the Bible? And that's why I want to talk about us being prepared. We've got times ahead, and they are different to the times that's happened in the past. New challenges. And if we're not prepared and understand the foundational principles of the Bible and have it as our food, we could be in big trouble in the coming months and years. So I'm not saying that as a threat because there's the other side of having this joyous relationship with God every day. So it's not just about be prepared because you're going to get picked on, but it's having that intimate relationship with God as well. So I just wanted to show, um, sorry, no, that's okay, I'll leave that out. I was going to talk about girding ourselves with truth, which you know is in Ephesians. Um, and we need to have that truth, and, and it's so easy to get distracted and to put our faith in false hope. Now, you know when I've spoken before, I've liked to put up, little bits of history so hopefully it will come up on the screen and it's about the events after world war one leading up to world war two and if you can see the screen in um, obviously world war one was a disaster for everybody and the french in the 1920s and the 1930s thought we've got to prevent germany ever invading us again so a politician called maginot came up with a plan to build a fortification and it was enormous. In today's realms, it would have cost maybe 50, 60 billion pounds to build. It was impregnable. It even could withstand gas attack. And it held 500,000 men. Because they had a view of what an attack would look like. 
Now, if you can see on the map, the solid line is the Maginot Line. And it protects against Germany. Now, during the 30s, war changed. It was faster, mechanized vehicles, high-speed aircraft. And the Germans, not playing fair, decided to attack through the Ardennes in Belgium and Luxembourg. And they came round the back, and the Maginot Line never fired one shot in anger. And 500,000 soldiers were taken captive. Now, we talk about the war in Ukraine at present and 100,000 Russians and it's causing devastation. Can you imagine half a million people who's been taken out of the defense of their nation because they put their faith in a false hope? Now, how do we do this <laughs> every day? Do we put our hope in false things? So I want to go through a few things just to explain what the Bible is and what it isn't. And there's a mix of people here, so maybe... There'll be people who fall into one of, or more than one of these categories, because it almost looks the same. So we say the Bible is truth, but there are people who say the Bible is a set of fables. It's just a nice idea. It's no different as a legend to any other legends. You know, George and the Dragon and um, whatever. It could, is it, it's just a fable. It's got no substance to it. There are others who say, well, we've all got a natural intuition, natural intuition towards God. And we have a knowing there is a God, so we write things about him. And that can therefore extend it to other religious books. And I'm cautious about calling them holy books because only God is holy. Other religious books, whether it's Hindu-based, whether it's Islamic-based, there's only one book that is holy because God is holy, and that's the Bible. And, we, and it says, but people wrote it based on their intuition and knowledge that there is a God. That's option two. Option three, God drives our consciences or drove the consciences of the people. You've got to write something. Oh, right, okay, well, I'm thinking this at present. I'll write something about you. The fourth option is God gave broad ideas, like maybe Pastor Steve gave to me. I want you to talk about the Bible. So I want you to talk about love. I want you to talk about why we should kill all the horrible enemies in Israel. and You know, just topics. And maybe you think that's what happened. Maybe you think he dictated every word. He grabbed hold of Paul. He grabbed hold of Moses. And then poor old Paul and Moses couldn't have a choice. They just wrote down every word that God said. So they were almost just, it might have been like a stenographer. But then there's the last option, which is the one I labor, want to labor on. Because he loves us. And that's that he co-authored with us. He took our weaknesses. He took our poor grammar. And for those not being cruel, because I grew up in Lee Park, my grammar when I grew up was not great. <laughs> Does that mean God can't use me <laughs> because I can't say the right word in the right place? When is it a that and when is it a which? Um, but God uses our style, our language. But he wanted every word to be the words that he wanted, even though he used our individual styles. That's why the Bible looks different. And you can say, oh, maybe that was probably written by so-and-so or that's... Peter's writings are a little bit more basic than Paul's writings. It's because God uses us as we are, but he wants his words to come out of our mouth. And that's true today, you know. 
When we're praying for somebody, it's not about, oh, I'm going to puff myself up and get all excited and shout and scream and say, be healed. It's God wants to speak through us to change us. So I want to now just pick on the famous um, 2 Timothy verses and uh, just look at those for a second. 2 Timothy three fifteen to 17. Um, it says, and that from, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, and that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which were able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and I'll come back to that in a moment, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now there's a sad, when we use the word um, inspired, it, it can give the wrong meaning. I mean, I know I've picked on, so I'll pick on Helen as well this time, not just Jenny. Um, but I could be inspired by the fact that they can get up and run a marathon. I can be inspired by a picture and what Leonardo da Vinci or Michelangelo did. It, could ins- it inspires you, doesn't it? You think, I, you know, well, whether I, I can't do that. I'm into stick men in when it comes to painting. But the word isn't what it is in the Bible. The word is theonousos. That's the Greek. Now, theo, theology, means God. And nousos is P-N-E-U, which is air, like pneumonia, pneumatic. So it's God-breathed. That's what the words mean. It doesn't mean inspired, where he gives us a nice little idea. It's God-breathed words. And every word God wanted in that Bible is in that Bible, in its original form, not necessarily modern-day translations. And I'm going to play on that a little bit later. But God wants us to... And he's written it to each one of us. So if God wanted those words there, they're there for a purpose and they're there for us. That's what Paul said to Timothy. For instruction, for salvation. So it's not a casual little book that's kept on the shelf. It should be our sustenance daily. Now if that's true, if it's true, excuse me. If that is true, then there's a problem, isn't there? Because if it's God's words and God is perfect, then it can't have any lies in it, can it? It can't have any error in it. Now, Numbers 23:19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. And Psalm 12:6 says, um, the words of the Lord are pure words. So God doesn't lie. And if we don't like what's written in there, the problem isn't with him. <laughs> it's with us. See, the Bible doesn't just tell the truth. It is the truth. And it's all about Christ. Hebrews 1, I think I've got this. I've only got four, so painfully, if you can put up with me, keep on jumping about. But Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 said, God, who at sundry times in diverse manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. 
So God has given us his word because it's about Jesus. And the Apostle John said in John 1.1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he's in, in his epistle, he had spent three and a half years with Jesus. And latterly, later in life, he had the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in 1 John 1, 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, which he have heard, so it wasn't heard about, but heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. So John had a personal experience. And you know, what separates other religions from Christianity is when Jesus lives in you, you know. It's not intellectual. It can be very deep and personal. But you have to nurture it. If the person you was going to marry, the second they met you, were jumping all over you and saying, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, without you building that relationship, you might be frightened off. <laughs> but God is desperate to have that depth of relationship with us but he wants to nurture and build and develop and that's through his word inspired and illuminated by the Holy Spirit and that's what that's why I'm trying to what is the purpose of me talking is to get you to realize that that's our only hope <laughs> now again in Jeremiah it says He has plans for us. What are those plans? Before the foundation of the earth, he had a plan for us. And how is he going to outwork that unless we're A, conformed to the image of his beloved son, and B, that we actually know what is expected of us, like Queen Elizabeth. So the thing is, then, how do we change? Um, We've got to approach the Bible as our source and we should be directed by the Holy Spirit. So Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. It's got to dwell. It's not a snippet. John 17.17 17 says, Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification. Being made holy. You can't force it on yourself. I know there was a period in the early church history where people thought the way to be holy was to stick themselves in a little hut at the top of a mountain and not see anybody for, any, for about 20 years. But sanctification is in the midst of chaos, not the absence of it. Because we are meant to be set apart to be holy. But it's within in the world, isn't it? Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So do we actually, I mean, I'm going to get a little bit more practical to what the world looks like today in a moment. But is the word of God a lamp unto our feet? Or, do when it, or is it that when it's not matching what our emotions and our desires are driving, we turn the lamp out? <laughs> Can't read the Bible for a couple of weeks because I'm not feeling too good about it at present. Instead of, I'm not feeling too good about me at present. <laughs> and I've got to do something about it. 
And although my daughter actually says, Dad, I don't like it when you mention me when you're up here. So, but uh, tough. Um, <laughs> she gave some very lovely words, but I was rubbish as a dad for a, a few years. Rubbish. I hope, <laughs> hopefully not now. Um, and that's, that's, <laughs> that's not looking for applause or anything. But um, now I just want to be honest about things because we've all had journeys and we're all on journeys, aren't we? Um, Hebrews 4.12 says, And the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, our emotions and God's word, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'm not saying tread carefully, but when people say God told me, and it's about you, and God hasn't told you, <laughs> be cautious, test it. Because people's hearts and emotions, sometimes they can get carried away with things that sound right, but aren't of God. And even with ourselves, we need to be careful of that. Because we think, oh, I think I should do this, I think I should do this. And you're getting all these counter things, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And you do it, and then you're at church five weeks later, a mess. Because you messed up. So, the, it's telling us the word of God is what we must, must invest in to avoid those pitfalls in life. Romans 3.20 said, effectively, by the law is the knowledge of sin. We can't, you know, the law is there. It's ingrained in our hearts, actually, isn't it? You don't need to tell anybody that killing somebody is not a good thing. I mean, to be honest, even the cannibals saw it as a sign of respect. When they ate the person. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's acceptable contact, don't get me wrong. But I'm, what I'm saying is there is this innate respect of life. 1 Corinthians 10.11 All things are written for our admonishment or correction. Now if we don't want to put ourselves under that correction, then what will happen is we will just continue doing the same old, same old of what we've always done and we will always get what we always got because we don't change. And to start to look at, and you know, it's not a case if you've got to by the age of whatever, and I'm, I can't say whatever because I'm nearer the whatever. We can't say by this age you should know the Bible inside out, you should know this, you should know that. But a nugget of bread at an important time is nourishment, isn't it? Uh, you know, it's a very sad thing. And, and sometimes you have to take it in small chunks, don't you? When the Allies liberated the concentration camps, a lot of people died because they overfed them. So it has to be done. At a, and, and that's why God gives us stuff slowly. He doesn't say, right, now you're a Christian. Right, that's it. Next week, I want you perfect. He feeds us slowly because he knows what we can cope with. And he wants to build us up. So, are we taking bread regularly? Are we taking the word of God regularly to build us up? We see what it does for us. 
It's to correct us. It's to sanctify us. It's to give us wisdom. But it's also to give us that... I don't know if you've ever had... Well, what with emails now, it's less of a case. But when I first met Glennis, I actually went out and bought some wax. So I could send her a letter and do a seal on it because that was like... That, that means you're really serious, doesn't it? <laughs> but those letters were personal. And somebody else reading them might chuckle, but they're personal. And although the, the Bible is the same Bible, it's personal. And the Holy Spirit will highlight the bit that's personal for you today. But you've got to read it. (laughs) So, the Bible is not just a good read. Many would say that it's tough if you're reading numbers. (laughs) It's not great principles for life. I mean, Gandhi saw it as that. He looked at the life of Christ and said, this is a good principle for life. He did not condone violence, and his protest was peaceful. But the Bible is the source of life. Source. You can't get it anywhere else. And when the woman at the well met Jesus... That's what he told her. You, you'll keep drinking of this and you'll never feel satisfied. But what I can give you will satisfy you. Now, if, if we all in various stages are sitting here and that is just going and isn't stirring us, it's not stirring us to actually think, oh my goodness. The one who loves me the most, I don't actually care about. then we need to change, don't we? If you're not a Christian here today, and you think, what is he talking about? Well, it doesn't hurt finding out, does it, really? Because if it's true, my goodness. My goodness. And if it's not true, well, then you're a little bit wiser because now you know another person's point of view. (laughs) But when you invite Christ into your life, you know it's true. You know. It might only be a little seed, and you might still say a lot of silly things. (laughs) And you might have habits that you've had for years and they're really tough to get out of. But... You know it's true. So, as we approach in prayer, acknowledging our own minds are so easily can go into wickedness. David, when he was um, praying, I think it was in Psalm 119, he kept on repeating, Lord, don't let me be a, a wally, basically. Don't let my thoughts override your thoughts. 
I know that in myself, I'm wicked. And I can so easily get distracted and lose the point and say the wrong thing. But please, I need you to speak to me. And I want to know it's your voice. And that's what we need to do. When we allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate that which speaks to us. You could read a passage 50 times. And then the 51st time you go, I never saw that before. When we meditate on the word of God day and night. When God commissioned Joshua, he said, keep my words always before you. Eat, eat them daily. Do you know, I was going to use it as a little um, quiz question, but I thought it could fall terribly flat. What has Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and John all got in common? They were the only three in the Bible where God told them to eat the scrolls. They actually had to eat the word of God physically. And if we see Christ as the bread of life, then we should be eating of him daily. <laughs> when we operate in faith and obedience, if you don't like what the Bible says, find out where you've got it wrong. <laughs> and be obedient to what it says. And if you struggle, that's why it's a family. I'm struggling. I don't understand this. Can you help me? Can you walk with me on this for the next umpteen weeks? That's what it's about. That's what building a family up is. You know, and I look across here, and um, if there's somebody I've not spoken to, I apologize. Please, if you want, come up and chat afterwards. But I'd look across, and I think, I've spoken to most of the people here. And with these glasses on, unfortunately, faces are a bit blurred. But um, I know you a bit. And your family, and it's important. And when people leave, it hurts. So let's have a quick look then at Jeremiah 29, 11, which is the one that I have plans for you, saith the Lord. And you probably have all said, yep, I know what comes next. So let's see if you do. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace. Does your Bible say prosperity? And not of evil. To give you an expected end. It's very easy in the Western world, isn't it, to say we've, God wants us to prosper. But the massive amount of Christians who are in Africa and Asia and China who being allowed to have permission to breathe is a blessing. If you look at the original word, and I did double check it because I didn't want to just bash different translations. But the word is shalom in Hebrew. It means peace. It doesn't mean anything else. It means peace. That's, how can he want to prosper us and then say we're going to have tribulation? It's counterintuitive, isn't it? That's not to say we've all got to be paupers because God needs us to do well so that we can bless, bless others. But it's just a point to challenge when you're reading. And again, I'm not bashing translations. But just be kept, make sure you know the truth. That's at the end of the day. It's about knowing the truth. Psalm 86, a friend of mine, he, he is a singer-songwriter. And I knew him from years back. Um, he did a song, um, which is an adaptation of Psalm 86, 11. 
Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to feel your name. Fearing God is a bit of a word you don't use very often today. But we do want him to teach us, teach us his ways. The word of God is our only offensive weapon as we seek to break down strongholds. Ephesians 6.17, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. It's the only thing we can fight with. And if we don't know how to use the sword, we're going to look stupid. King Solomon, with all his wisdom and riches and honor amongst men, concluded, and actually this is the last one, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. So he's had everything and he messed up. And he writes, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now, we don't like the word fearing fear, do we? Oh, well, God isn't a God of fear. He's Jesus, my helper. Jesus is this. I mean, of course he is. But we have to have an awesome respect for who God is. He is God, after all. He's not our mate down the pub. And in the 70s, they tried to make it like that. He is God. So, I'm winding up now. There are some who have never considered the significance of the Bible and have never seen Christ as the center of things and have never committed themselves to him. And in fact, the Bible doesn't make sense. So here's an opportunity to change that, to get to know him. There are those, and they are Christians, who have failed to recognize that the Bible is a love letter to us. It's just this obligation to read it now and again. But do we see it as our source? There are some who know that it's the, if, what is the Bible? Oh, it's, it's God's word to us. It's really important. But they don't allow it to control their hearts. Internal prejudice and whatever. Yes, there's the yes but. There are some who know the word and have got snared. They've, you know what a snare is? I don't mean a snare drum. I mean a snare. It's laid by... Well, in the Bible, it talks about fowlers. It's laid to trick people and to capture them. And when you're caught, it hurts more to try and get out than it does to stay where you are. It doesn't always kill in the short term, but it does control. And some of us have allowed life attitudes, issues, deceptions to ensnare us. And the thought of trying to break out of it is, I don't know what to do. But God actually, when he wrote these words, he knew it. <laughs> so his word can get us out of it. That's why it's important to know the truth and the truth will set you free. There are those who whose thirst has been heightened. And you think, I've got to change. So I just wanted to put a, an opportunity for people 
There's six, five or six categories there. Some may put yourself in two or three of them. <laughs> With the amount of deception, I talked about the Maginot line earlier, where we put our hope in things and we think we're safe, it's okay. But the world had changed. The Christians of 1930 didn't have Facebook to get distracted. They didn't have fake news that is telling you things that are not truth. So we need to be wise and we need to stand firm in the knowledge of what the Bible says, not what we think it says, not what some people tell us it says. And we've got to know those God-breathed words that are specific to us. The difficult ones, the joyous ones, the ones that make you cry with joy, the ones that make you cry with anguish. So just if we can pray now. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share together. I just pray, Lord, that it's not what I've said. It's what you've quietly whispered in the ears of each of us to draw close to know the lover of our soul and I just pray that you'll bless all of us here today Lord whichever state we're in because you earnestly desire to have an intimate relationship with us so just give individuals the boldness and the confidence to want to talk about it to want to seek advice, seek support or to make a decision so for those of us here today if, if there is anybody who wants to um, to talk about any of those things <laughs> um, please feel free to come to the front afterwards and um, we'll, we'll try and start you on a journey whichever journey it is um, and thank you for this morning God bless